Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of After the Storm. This is Humna. And this is Roja. And we've got a special guest today. Um, Roja, do you want to introduce what we're chatting about and who our guest is? Yes, so the topic we'll be delving into today is social responsibility in the digital age. Fancy, fancy words for saying, please watch what you put out. On social media. <laughs> yeah, um, and just going forward, um, our guest is very special. Um, I've been following her work for a while, and she's super cool. Um, she's also a student, so juggling social media while being a student, I think, is pretty cool. I'm so impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Afshan Nasiri from Life's for a Living. She's a 21-year-old student, um, currently in her last semester at McGill. Fancy. Studying She's smart. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> McGill's up there. She's studying strategic management and classical Arabic, a multilingual queen. Um, she's originally from Boston and is half Iranian and half Indian. Um, and she basically discusses the Indo-Western lifestyle through fashion, prose, and cultural activism. A lot behind her belt. Absolutely. Um, so Afshan is joining us all the way from Montreal. We have her on the phone. So if there's technical difficulties, um, uh, we're newbies at this, guys. Just keep <laughs> listening. Hi, Afshan. Hi, guys. How are How you are today? You? Good. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a long day, but we're so excited to chat with you. <laughs> me too. Me too. Okay. So just to kind of get us started, we wanted, we wanted to chat with you about your background. Who are you? Where do you come from? Um, and just kind of a little bit about the culture that you grew up in. Okay. So, um, as you guys said before, I am from Boston, Massachusetts, um, but I was actually born in Montreal. So, I moved to Boston when I was, like, one or two. Um, so, I really lived there my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother is Indian and my dad is Iranian. Um, and I have a sister who's 27. Her name is Nazila. So, basically, I think the culture that I had growing up was a little bit different um, than most um of the people that I hang out with, I guess, mm-hmm. because my parents actually immigrated when they were quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was seven and my dad was 14 and oh, wow. they mm-hmm. came to Montreal first and then they moved to Boston. And so I think that they had actually, they were kind of like a generation ahead because they came so young. So they really were thrown into like Montreal Canadian culture. Right. And I don't think that they thought a lot about the things that we used to think about. Mm-hmm. I think it was just very natural for them to kind of, you know, have their Indian and Iranian lives and then their Canadian lives. And mm-hmm. sometimes those mix and sometimes they didn't. And so for me, I kind of grew up with two figures who were ethnic minorities in the U.S., but at the same time, they were very confident about it. Um, right. So I never really felt different. And I never actually, I don't think I went through a lot of the same, like, first generation experiences that that like a lot of my first generation friends did Mm -hmm. because being second generation in itself that's a whole other experience because i think being first gen with humna and i can relate to that it's just figuring everything out yeah exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's almost it's really cool to hear that narrative as well of being so comfortable in your identity because uh the way i've experienced is is just a lot of turmoil over you know where yeah. do i fit in and kind of carving out a space for myself so it's really cool cool to hear that you grew up in a space where you were able to be super confident in your identity and where your family came from thank you yeah i think definitely it was 
it's almost as though like there's so much conversation going on about you know culture and growing up as an well I'm not an immigrant but like a first generation child Mm -hmm. and I think that I kind of felt this weird like should I have struggled through something kind of feeling (laughs) like you know what I mean but I think that I realized that my parents like they're just maybe very different than like a lot of other like stories like our stories just very very different like they're also coming from both very westernized cultures within their home countries like I mean my mom was like her parents grew up in British India and Mm. they were very much a part of that system and my dad was from Iran which before the revolution was extremely westernized yeah yeah um so growing up did you hear a lot of stories from kind of Iran and India as well so I think that so my dad after he left Iran um, when he was 14 in 1977, which was two years before the revolution, mm-hmm. um, he actually did not return. Um, mm-hmm. So my stories about Iran were very limited to like, you know, his childhood. Right. And like, although like I, I mean, he's like a good storyteller. So like, I like to hear like any <laughs> stories that he told me. Mm-hmm. I think like his perception of Iran was pre-revolution. And so that's right. really all that I knew about it. So it was a really weird contrast between, you know, what he told me about these parties that he would go to where girls were wearing backless dresses. And then, like, I would learn about the Iranian revolution in school and be like, how was this the same country? Yeah. You know? Have you had a chance um, to visit Iran? Sorry. No, I haven't yeah. because my dad left before um, doing his military requirement. Oh, and so okay. um, he recently, like, got clearance for it. But then with Trump and everything, we were just like, we can probably wait this one out. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like you're better off being safe considering the yeah. political situation in the States right now. Exactly. Um, safety first, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with us, by the way. Um, yeah. So how is it being in Montreal now, kind of being in a space where your parents grew up? So I think that was like one of the main reasons why I wanted to come to Montreal, because my parents had these like insane stories to tell me about like their college and university experiences. And I mean, I went the high school that I went to, I was there since the second grade. And mm-hmm. it's, like, a prestigious New England prep school that you, like, hear about. We actually have a Lifetime movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, girl, yeah. what is the school called? Um, so I'm not signing Academy. up for kids, basically, <laughs> that aren't even in this world yet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's called Milton Academy. Um, the movie was called Restless Version. So Okay, that's <laughs> pretty cool. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> For yeah. my future children, maybe yeah. 10 years down the road. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Different. I mean, yeah. amazing school. Amazing school. I had an amazing experience. But, wait, what was the question again? Um, How just how's you? it being in Montreal? Yeah, because yeah. Montreal's oh, yeah. a pretty sick city. Yeah, so I basically, so. I went from a very small bubble of people. Like, yes, mm-hmm. granted, we had international kids, and my school was day and boarding, so people would live at the school as well. Um, and they came from all social classes and all races and everything. But at the same time, I felt like I didn't know, like, enough. My mm-hmm. world had not expanded to the extent that I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I took the leap to Montreal. I knew it was a really diverse city, and that's what I wanted. Essentially, I was debating between Boston College and McGill. Um, and so I said, why not go for McGill? It seems super diverse. And so I went to Montreal, and I was like, wow. Like, my whole world burst. I mean... It was crazy. I, I barely knew any Arab people. I barely knew any other Desi people. Um, so, I mean, the minorities in Boston were, like, black and Latino. Right. And so 
and like I exposed to it was a culture shock for you yeah I mean it was like these people who I had this is a horrible term to use but you know we were raised being like oh fobs this and that I mean I could definitely see my bias when my friends who I'm now friends with when I had initially met them mm-hmm. I was like oh my god like these people <laughs> are <kind laughs> I of think hobby. we can we can I, delve into that more though because I think even it's like I've been here like I moved here when I was about three years old right yeah. so that fob image or whatever that wasn't there but I I feel a lot of disconnect between sometimes international students that come in and they see kids that are already here that their biases are so strong and it's so wrong to see these kids that probably go through the same struggles as you being like Mm -hmm. you know what we're better than you just because we've been here before and it's just you gotta unlearn all of that stuff yeah and you know that's that's been going on since my mother's time because Mm -hmm. like when my mom would tell me about her college days like I mean her friends like now when you look at them none of them have accents right so Mm -hmm. I like will assume that back then they barely had accents as well and like I was talking to her the other day and she was like oh no we weren't friends with that guy and I was like why not and she was like oh you know he's like Bobby and I was like mom you were literally a fob when you were seven (laughs) Like, and then what? by the time you were 17, you weren't a fob anymore. Like, I think that, like, it's been around, you know? Yeah. It's almost as though we gained the sense of, like, arrogance when we come here and we're raised here. But then, like, to my surprise, those friends of mine who I thought were, like, losers in the beginning, they were honestly the most popular kids in my dorm. <laughs> That's amazing. But, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I'm just thinking back to social psychology. Like, mm-hmm. we learned about assimilation and integration, right? And why yeah. the... F- fob mentality which is again the worst term to use is because kids that are here earlier they think they've assimilated so yeah they think they're westernized so therefore we can't associate with the other because that'll just make our social credit go down mm-hmm. yeah 100 yeah. it's something that i know i always have to check myself mm-hmm. on right like if i'm assuming that i'm quote unquote better like for who compared to what exactly. right like what yeah. standard am i aspiring to and is that really what i should be aspiring also to, to? aspire to be the standard of a settler colonial state <laughs> no yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah and we also wanted to delve more into the blog so how did it come mm-hmm. about how long have you been blogging how's the experience been like um so how did my blog come about so I think traditionally, I'm really not the blogging kind of person. I had never watched like a YouTube, I don't know, YouTube, YouTuber's vlog <laughs> before. Mm-hmm. Um, I still honestly don't. But and like, I didn't really follow like bloggers on Instagram. But um, so most of my internships um, have been in New York City. And mm-hmm. so I've spent a lot of my summers in New York. Um, and so I kind of like have a community of friends there. And my sister lives there. So um, a lot of her friends are also my friends. Right. And um, one of my friends is a pretty big photographer in New York. Uh-huh. And um, I think my personal Instagram had already, like, kind of had a lot of followers for, like, no reason. Mm-hmm. I think I had, like, 4,000 or something. Um, and I kind of talked a little bit about culture. I wasn't really cautious about, you know, oh, I have to be cool on my Insta. Like, I like right. to talk about mm-hmm. things like that. Um and so I think he saw it and he was like, you know, you should do something with this and capitalize on it. And I was like, well, I don't really know that like scene. And right. I mean, I'm just 
more of a low-key person, as, like, hypocritical as that sounds. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, but, yeah, so we kind of just did a shoot. He was like, just try it. And I was mm-hmm. so nervous. He literally styled me. And he's not a stylist, okay? <laughs> he sounds like a really good <laughs> mentor. What? He sounds like a really good mentor at the end of the day to, like, guide oh, you through the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, he taught me so much. And honestly, if it wasn't for him, like, I probably would have died out by now. Because he was really... the person to tell me like i mean yeah at times he's super harsh and like he knows that but he was always like you know you can't just take a picture of your outfit against a white wall like that's not gonna fly and so i was always like okay like i literally had to learn how to be creative Mm -hmm. um because like what my strength was was like i had like confidence in my culture that i don't think a lot of people had like i mean like two years ago yeah and and that's something that's really really obvious just from looking at the content that you share Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just obviously like a factor of my upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's never been like a surface level thing for me. Yeah. Because it's just kind of always been there. Mm-hmm. Like my grandparents are mad cool and they're Indian, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I've never felt like embarrassed of my family. or And I think that that's kind of what it comes down to is like we come into the society and everyone's like, oh God, like why is your grandma wearing those funny clothes? Yeah, yeah you know and like since I never experienced that like I mean I don't know it just it was a much easier process of learning how to like be confident with it yeah that's Mm -hmm. very cool yeah I think not having experienced the kind of I want to say almost shame that's often associated with the culture that we bring from our home countries and not having to experience that does give you a sense of freedom I imagine I think that's very much dependent where you grow up Right. If you mm-hmm. grow up in a predominantly, say, white place and you try to express your culture there, perhaps you'll you'll experience that shame or something like that. Whereas my experience growing up in a very immigrant dense neighborhood in yeah. all the cities I've lived in is not so much shame, I'd say, just being comfortable with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all just there's just so many factors that play into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, so you told us about how you got started. How long has it been since you kind of took that leap? So I think that first photo shoot was in the summer of 2017, like in July. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, so um, it's been almost a couple of years now. Yeah, like a year and a half, I guess. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Shout out for that exponential growth. <laughs> <laughs> true. True, true. Um, so... Going into the social media aspect, right, and having mm-hmm. um, having a significant online presence, um, mm-hmm. and this is going to touch on something you've already mentioned, but you're, so the reason, the big reason I want to chat with you compared to, like, anybody else, right, because I feel like there's so many people on social media mm-hmm. right now that have huge followings. Yeah. Um, I really love the content that you share because it comes off as super, super authentic. And yeah. when you talk about the way that you were raised and the, the relationship that you had with your culture, it makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. what I saw looked like it's coming from a place that's super authentic and a place where it just shows that this is your reality. This is your day-to-day kind of in and out, and you're not putting on a persona for social media. That's what I was going to go into. It doesn't look like a performance. It just looks like someone that's genuinely sharing a part of her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So how do you continue to maintain that authenticity, and have you done that over the last couple of years? Um, So I think that generally, like, if you were to ask my friends, like, I am, I pretty much, like, 
have no filter like not in a bad way I'm mm-hmm. not rude yeah <laughs> but like as in like if I have a question to ask somebody I'll mm-hmm. just ask it right um if that makes sense yeah so yeah. I think that generally I'm just a person who's like that and I've never been like ashamed of my shortcomings like I'll gladly tell everyone in the world like yeah I failed that test but like guess what I'm still living and still mm-hmm. doing great things you know what I mean yeah and I think that also that's something that's lacking in our community and in our culture yeah. we're not I mean it's a it's a cultural aspect of, our, of ours you know yes. um that we not share like our private lives I guess they can be like mm-hmm. sugar-coated as yeah. But I, mean, I think that that was just always like a thing for me. Um, I just always felt like, you know, the more that you tell people, like the less they can um, gossip about or yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, that's very assume. true. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes my mom doesn't like that, but whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. So how have I kept it like this? I think I've really disassociated um the responses of my Instagram from myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, yes, all of the content that I put out there is, like, genuinely me. But, like, I don't really talk to, like, my close friends about the day-to-day of my Instagram or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you're never going to meet me in person Mm -hmm. and then have me be like, oh, yeah, I'm an influencer, by the way. Like, it's not something that really comes up in my everyday life mm-hmm. um I really treat it as like a separate entity like yeah mm-hmm. obviously like if I'm wearing an outfit one day I might take a picture of it that's like integrating into my daily life right but um yeah it's kind of just my personal journal and mm-hmm. I don't really let the comments or let people's responses get to me so I kind of just keep treating it like my journal um mm-hmm. and I think that's really important because you know I think it's once you get greedy or once you start to be like oh people don't like this aspect of me I want to do more of the other thing Mm -hmm. I think that's where it becomes less authentic yeah like I know that not a lot of people care about the experiences of a Muslim Indian minority you know Mm -hmm. but at the same time I'm going to keep on talking about it because it's something that's important to me absolutely Um, and like obviously with Hindu nationalism and whatever the BJP like oh, yeah. it is an issue and I get messages all the time when I post stuff like that you know being like well I worked for Modi and blah 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 oh, like God. yeah like I mean obviously I've at times thought you know should I tone it down should mm-hmm. I be less political should I you know not share so much right. if it's going to put me in a threatened position but then I'm like who else is going to talk about it so, yeah, that's kind of how I roll. Props to you, honestly. Yeah. It's This is something Rohan and I talk about all the time where, like, we feel like it's super, super important that people who are passionate about living their truth actually go out and share that those experiences and are brave in that because if not us, then who is going to talk about it? I feel like most people are too scared to say anything, and that's why yeah. there's this continued... Um, just yeah like hesitation and stigma around a lot of topics that we should be discussing i was going to continue with that i think just even being in your position being an influencer toning it down would probably be better on a large scale it would help grow a hundred percent a hundred i could also like be more like revealing in my clothing like i mean even in that like the what i wear to like if i go out to the club Mm -hmm. or like if I go to the beach, I'm going to wear what everyone else is wearing. Like, my family, yeah. like, they don't care. I, yeah. Yeah, go to the bikini. With my, like, I wear a bikini to the beach with my family. Like, whatever. I go to the club, you know, wearing crop top and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I 
choose not to put that on my social media because that's not what I want to be like right. seen as, you know, right. mm-hmm. in, in those senses, I understand why, you know, I'm going to hide certain things because that's, that's just not what I want to show. And I don't think there's an issue if you want to show it, but I think it's a lot about positioning yourself. Absolutely. And I think you have to pick and choose yeah. that, right? In terms of content, you have to be careful in terms of what you put out. So absolutely, because the downside of that, I imagine, is that the more you put out there, the more people are going to say. And if you're already getting, you know, comments and messages on what you're yeah. speaking about, you don't want to amp that up for no reason. Mm. I think and uh, also... Yeah, sorry, sorry, I just wanted to add, um, before I forget this little point, one thing that I really, really like about how you show your material is that you're open to criticism and also critically reflecting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If we don't critically analyze um, the spaces surrounding us, that being an Indian, it's probably hard for you to come... to merge the identity of being an Indian Muslim and then also being proud of your country, right? But the Mm -hmm. thing is, those aren't two separate things. There's very much like intersectionality with that. And if we call out things that we think are wrong, that's the only way we can improve or at least come to a better conclusion at the end of the day. No, definitely. And like for me, that's super real because, I mean, I don't feel the way I feel about any country the way that I do feel about India. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, like literally I saw that movie Razi about like this Indian spy girl. Oh, and, is like, that the I one cried. with Alia Bhatt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I literally cried it. just because of the sacrifice that she gave for India. Okay, Aww. I'm like a real whack job. And so like I even though like I love India so much, like I'm not afraid obviously to call out what is wrong because there's mm-hmm. so much wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like out of love. Like why would you not try to make improvements upon something that exactly. you see great yeah. potential in right absolutely um so expanding on that a little bit you mentioned that you were born in montreal and then you grew up in boston how are you able to maintain such a strong connection with india so yeah it was totally personal because like if you can imagine like my mom was saying those kids in her class were fobby like my both of my parents have called me fobby okay like i am like way above the level that they are like my parents like literally sound like white people like okay they like straight up okay That's so funny i'm literally the father of my family and so you're reintroducing culture i really am and oh so God. like the thing is like for me there was no way to stay in touch you know when i was in high school i mean one thing that helped me stay in touch was Savan, the music app. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, so that was great because, like, I only had one Indian friend, and I only met her, like, became best friends with her when I was in the 11th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think I would say that I started to get close to my culture when I was, like, 15, which was the 10th grade. Yeah. And so I started, like, holding on to these pieces um like through Saban that was a great thing for me because like you know the top 20 I can kind of see the new songs and stuff like that and then um other things that helped me keep in touch like as I got older and my world expanded a little bit more I was able to find more um I started getting into like Urdu poetry so then I started getting like a lot of books um and there's like a lot of online platforms for Urdu poetry to also do you have any favorite Urdu poets um yeah I really like my favorite poem is by Anna Tarad Oh, for okay. us, so um, good. I'm going to interject here. Is that the one that you yeah. posted on your story this one time? Uh, what is it called? Yeah, I literally also just posted it. Like, I just posted a line from my favorite poem also right now. <laughs> what yeah. is it called? 
Uh, it's called Sanahe Love. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I so I saw this for the first time on your Instagram story, and then okay. I went into it. I looked in the t- into the translation, and I fell in love. It is yeah. so beautiful. For us, so beautiful. in general, just makes you feel like you've experienced the greatest love. Yeah. It is just. Oh my God. Yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'm yeah. still yeah. obsessed. Like I have it saved in the notes in my phone. I just like I'll go back time to time and just read it because of how beautiful it is. I literally I have an audio recording of it on oh my, my phone God. that I will just like fall asleep to. <laughs> that's so cute. Oh my God, that is, I'm gonna try that next time. Just that's how put on how, Urdu audio. That's how Rohan's gonna go to bed tonight. <laughs> yeah. First it was Coke Studio. Now I have Faraz. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So um. I think the next topic that we wanted to explore was um, as an influencer uh, and going into social responsibility, being an influencer, we wanted to touch upon the exploitation of culture versus Mm -hmm. um, having authentic engagement in cultural dialogue. So what Mm -hmm. degree of responsibility should influencers have when it comes to cultural representation? Um... I know that's a big question that we just like kind of yeah. threw at you. Like, <laughs> I guess, like, look, it's not up to me, right? Yeah. Everyone feels differently about their culture. I know I'm like psycho obsessed with it um, compared to other people. And, you know, I'm not expecting someone like, I don't know, my American Indian friends. Okay, I literally have one. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me rephrase that. Um, but I'm not expecting my best friend from home uh, who's Indian to you know have a whole blog about india right because i know that it's not integrated into her daily life the way that it is with mine Mm -hmm. and so i think that that's okay i think that um like until the level of like authenticity is there then that's maybe the extent that you should talk about it um at the same time i think that there's a lot of people who talk about it from a very like unknowledgeable point of view yeah um like sometimes it hurts me seeing what indians and india or pakistanis and pakistan say about you know oh these nri like non-resident indians like Mm -hmm. diaspora kids or whatever think they know so much about india but they've never lived here and blah 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 like sometimes it hurts me to see that and i hope that i'm never grouped into that category and i always do try to check my privilege um but like at the same time I think, like, you know, it, obviously everyone's going to have an opinion on their culture, okay? Yes, yeah. um, but I think that you also should realize how little you know from, like, your quick little family visits, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, for me, even though I've spent, like, a significant time in India and not, like, in hotel rooms and stuff, um, like, with real people who are not privileged, um I think even then, obviously, there's a lot that I do not know about the country, mm-hmm. but I try to learn. And, like, I always try to recognize the fact that I don't know everything. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who try to interject um, about just things that they don't know about and things that they've just heard from their, like, parents, whose obviously image of India or Pakistan is going to be from, like, the 70s, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, like, in terms of responsibility, I think that you have a responsibility if you're going to talk about it, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you have a responsibility to say accurate things if you want to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, then, I mean, that's up to you. Yeah. Everyone was raised differently, right? 
Absolutely. And I think that's, I really like the way you phrased it is that like, if you are going to talk about something, knowing that there's people listening, then it's important that you be responsible in how yeah. you have that conversation and what yeah. you share. Because at the end of the day, everyone's not going to be an ambassador for, oh, this is how we're going to speak about this culture. But I think, yeah. and you touched upon this, that at the end of the day, it's, you should have, like, you should interact respectfully. Yeah, and also, yeah. like, I always think of myself in my Iranian culture. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really talk about it very much. I'm definitely not an ambassador for it. Yeah. Like, and I have to always think of that. You know, there's my experience with my Iranian culture, it might be the same for some Desi kids with their Desi cultures, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't always expect these kids to click with their cultures. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, like we've talked about I think it has so much to do with your socialization with the way you're raised but also with the kind of person that you are right yeah because somebody could be raised in a household that's very embracing of their culture but it just it doesn't fit with the kind of person they are and it's not what they're interested in and that's totally fair I think at the end of the day it's just okay to admit that and be like hey this is just not my scene rather than just become a pseudo ambassador for things that you don't really know about because then you don't do justice to the issue and to the culture in itself yeah yeah absolutely for sure I feel like I'm like that in terms of my Pakistani identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was, I've always struggled with it so much because mm-hmm. growing up in the Middle East, I always tried to erase that part of myself yeah. Yeah. Um, to align it more with the Middle Eastern identity I was seeing around me. And now I'm trying to go back to it. And like, I have to be very cautious to not overcompensate, mm-hmm. right? To mm-hmm. do what I can in a way just like, in a way that fits into my life, in a way that's authentic without going over the top to to almost feel like I'm making up for something yeah I think Mm -hmm. then there's no like when we talk about almost like a white savior complex right we can be the same people that perpetuate the same systems yeah coming from if you come from a privileged place and then not acknowledging that so yeah. yeah definitely really good in-depth conversation right there goodness (laughs) how did we get through a whole like 30 minutes of serious conversation that was a miracle (laughs) um so you mentioned traveling to india can you tell us a little bit more about that like how often do you go back what sorts of Mm -hmm. like do you go to different parts of india Mm -hmm. and also um you mentioned that you travel alone a lot so uh when you do go to india it's not always like family visits so how does that impact your connection yeah so um i the first time i went to india i think i was seven um and i absolutely hated it <laughs> i was like get me out of this like yep. stinky hellhole <laughs> okay i was like disgusted by everybody and everything pretty standard um, reaction yeah come on like yeah i mean i was young and bougie yeah and then <laughs> story of my life yeah so i was just mad bougie and like i mean my typical thing in india is to visit delhi to, like, mm. hang out with some family friends there and shop. And then, like, when I was younger, when, mm-hmm. on my family trips, this is typically what happens. And right. then we go to Lucknow, um, where my mother's family's from. We have a flat there. Um, like, it's part of, like, our old Koti. And um, then we make the rounds of family friends and yep. family. Yep. It's horrid. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so that's why I really hated it. I was so jet-lagged, and I had to meet all these people and i couldn't even like understand a word of urdu hindi when i was younger oh so no this is stupid okay i just slept and so then um so that was when i was seven then i didn't go back i 
think I'm told it was like 10. And we did like a family vacation with like my Hala family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to Goa and Delhi and Lucknow. And that was more fun for me because Goa is obviously beautiful. I mean, yeah. I just basically went somewhere tropical. Um, and then I don't remember what I did in Delhi, but I remember in Lucknow, it was New Year's. And that was just really fun. I saw it yeah. in a different light, you know. And then after that, I don't remember when I went, but I just know that I started going continuously after the age of, I think, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was when I was a freshman in high school. And I think it was when I was 15 is when I was started to go alone. Um, because basically when I was 15, I took over like a family initiative that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called the Lucknow Project. And so basically it's like a nonprofit initiative um, that works with like my ancestral village um, called Ameti. And we basically... Um, there's some private schools there, uh, which are basically attended by majority Muslim students, but there are some Hindu students. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so we took those schools and we kind of introduced English curriculums. We started, you know, making improvements to the schools, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then we made funds, um, for funerals and marriages and emergency things and rationing cards, et cetera, et cetera. That's so amazing. So, yeah. You do that yeah. while you're, like, blogging and in school and doing internships. Yeah. Props I hate to myself. you, girl. That's <laughs> amazing. Also, accessibility for education for yeah. all. I'm so about yep. that. Good job, man. No, definitely. I think, I mean, that was one of the things that taught me the most, and it's definitely why I'm most connected to India. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hated the family visits, but then when I would go alone, I would go to take care of the nonprofit and do field teaching. And so I started that, I think, when I was 14 or 15, um, and I would go for, like, around three weeks, like a month, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it all changed for me, um, because when I was 15, uh, I mean, I was in high school, I was in my sophomore year. Um, I mean, that was a good trip, but then mm-hmm. after that, things started to get really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, like typical high school girl stuff. Right. Like yeah. Friends, horrible boys, this oh, and that. No. And I think actually it was when I was 16 or 17, um, I was actually like super depressed. And so I went to India for my typical spring break kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was there where it was like, you know, I didn't have to talk to anyone. There was no standard for me. Like no one knew me. I was mm-hmm. just a freaking English teacher, you know? Yeah. And that for me was super pivotal. Because I really learned that there's so much, like, excess garbage in life. And, you know, what it boils down to is, like, these people were so appreciative of whatever little knowledge I could give to them. And so that really changed, like, my perspective on things. And it really became a very cathartic experience for me every year. And, like, I craved to go every year. And, like, at this point, I've gone, like, twice every year for the past, like, 30 years. You know? Um... And so that's kind of what happened. I, I was able to do my own thing. And, you know, since I was alone, I crafted my own schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I would take dance lessons because I'm also a dancer. Um, oh. So just, to, like, improve and, you know, work on new stuff. Uh, it was fun. I had nothing to do after the school day. So, like, right. why not? I didn't have friends there. Um, and, like, I learned to sew and, like, all this random stuff. Um, and then when blogging came around, like, that was cool because I was filling my time uh, with, like, photo shoots and stuff like that and mm-hmm. um like those photographers became a really good friend so yeah those kind of you know being able to go alone I was able to craft my own experience of India and so that made me even more confident in it because I mean imagine 
like when you're in high school and life sucks and then you get to go to this place where you could do anything you wanted I mean it's amazing yeah right that Mm -hmm. sounds like such an incredible experience um yeah and I wonder if that's where um, so much of the differences between, you know, people that have that authentic connection versus people that don't comes from. I know yeah. even myself, like anytime I go back to Pakistan, it's very much just like I'm on that usual round of visiting family for two weeks yeah. and then I come back and that's about it. So I don't actually know. A, I don't know a lot about the country that I'm from. I haven't yeah. really ex- gotten the chance to experience it for myself. So what I know is very much limited to my family circles and what I it's, have to do. Right? I think also yeah. when it comes to being like a first generation immigrant, um, our perceptions of Pakistan or wherever we're from are largely based on what our parents tell us. It's the yeah. country they've left. That image is in a standstill. And if whether they left um, in the 90s or in the 2000s, or the, in the 2000s, they haven't moved forward from that. So yeah. at the end of the day, I think in our journey, it's so important to go, um, if we want to learn more about our mm-hmm. culture, is experience and live individually. Current. Yeah. yeah. It's on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One like day. Also, I mean, like for me, my mom barely had a perspective on India because she left when she was seven. Right. Know? Yeah. So like, I mean, for me, if anything, my perspective on India was my grandfather's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like British Indian. Wow. So, I mean, it was like stories about him playing tennis and like, I don't know, British things. Yeah. You know, that's going to be <laughs> like, so interesting, nice. like hearing those stories and then going and experiencing what it's like for yourself. Right. Yeah, now. I mean, I think it, it allows you. I mean, that's basically what allows me to see my city like Lucknow in such a positive light when really if, if you ask anyone in India, about Lucknow, they're going to be like, well, it's a crap hole. <laughs> I mean, for lack of a better term. Seriously, like, it's so, you know, there's this beautiful architecture and it's covered by all these advertisements and people who really do not care. Mm. Um, and I think it's like, because I saw my grandfather's image of what a city it used to be, I'm able to actually see that when I go. When yeah. I think a lot of people are like, this is a city of nothing. Yeah, that's got to be such an interesting perspective. Um, yeah. So just to wrap up here, because I know we gave you a time limit and we want to stick to our time as well. We're notorious for over-recording and then struggling to cut things down because, like, there's, there's always such a good conversation. Um, but, yeah, um, is there anything you want to add, Roha? No, I think I'm just very content with what we chatted about. Um, we <laughs> sort of covered everything that I was hoping we did, and I'm left with a lot of afterthoughts. I think just... A little recap of what I got um I just appreciate a lot of how you see India and I mm-hmm. think in my journey now I want to see Pakistan like that I don't want it to be just like the pictures I have or the perceptions that my parents have of it yeah. I very much want to go and live there and at the end of the day I think what I'm very afraid of is you know doing a two-week trip okay yes I volunteered there I never want to make it such a short-term commitment mm-hmm. um yeah. i i want to do it consistently um, yeah and perhaps maybe live there one day i'm very much Ooh, open to that idea Roja. i did not know <laughs> that about you um, dude it's so icy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Is, is montreal as bad as okay, uh, things are worse? here really it's yeah. literally horrible but also there was a hailstorm yesterday in delhi so we're really not oh safe. wow oh my god yeah. global warming nobody is safe the earth is dying <laughs> so this is a takeaway from this episode guys climate change, <laughs> <laughs> climate change is real. yeah oh and it's real and it's terrifying <laughs> 
You make it sound like an apocalypse is coming. Honest to God, that is what I feel like when I step outside and the ground is just a sheet of ice. I feel like it's because you're from the desert. I swear. Okay, well, what about when you see those pictures of polar bears all skinny? Yeah. Okay, okay, guys. No, those are just emaciated polar bears because they're dying. You know that polar bear picture? It's propaganda. Like, I believe in climate change. That's real. But that's how polar bears die. They just become Wait, very really? yeah. So that okay. So we were discussing that oh in our sustainability Lord. class. So whoever posted that picture was honestly probably like a pedo propaganda person <laughs> because yes, oh my God. climate change is real. But that polar bear was just like kicking it, bro. <laughs> like, he was okay. just really Thank old. Uh, right? Yikes! Watch out for alt right climate change. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> Honestly, at, at least the alt right is starting to believe in climate change. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's like the lesser of two evils. Aunt would say climate change is God's plan for your sins. Oh my God! Oh, yeah. Yikes. Roma, don't tell your me. aunt I'm really sorry for everything I've ever done. <laughs> Honestly, okay, Ashan's probably like a little confused. <laughs> I was talking to my aunt about like climate change and she basically told me she was like Ruha this is just Allah punishing us for our sins oh my god that is terrifying I love you but I really don't need that image right now (laughs) it's not helping (laughs) oh my goodness but thank you so much for chatting with us Afshan I've learned a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, before we end is there anything you want to plug me Yes. yes. Anything you want to say? Your closing remarks, if you um, will. Thank you guys for listening. I have one book recommendation. If you're trying to get inspired to rediscover Ooh. your homeland, yes. it's called um, India's Calling, I think, mm-hmm. by Anand Giri Das. Just like type in something like India's Calling, India's and, calling. Anand, and it'll show up. Okay. Um, but it's a great book about the reverse brain drain, and I think it kind of supplements Ooh. what I talked about. Oh, my God. I'm also super into this book club thing. Like, I really want people to recommend books to me because I just need to learn more. Thank you, Afshan. We'll definitely look into that. Check it out. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been amazing. That pretty much wraps up this episode. And thank the Lord we don't have to do a lot of post-editing work on this. So um, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Until next time.